what I'm saying. We're looking at uh, the Apostles' Creed together. For those of you who are new to fullness, um, we're, we're not exactly a creedal church. Um, we, we uh, you know, if you come from a more liturgical background, if you have a church background, um, Catholic, Episcopalian, even Lutheran, uh, Methodist maybe would say the Apostles' Creed on a regular basis, or other creeds, we, we usually don't haven't in the past, but there's something about the Apostles' Creed that is unique among the creeds. It, it, it predates the establishment of the uh, Catholic Church, which means somewhere in the 100s or 200s for sure, we see the creed um, being used in worship and especially at baptisms. Um, the church itself, the Catholic Church, wasn't formed until the 300s, and so it predates. It's not a, it's not a political theological statement. It's a statement of faith. And we don't find our um, authority in the creed itself. We find our authority in the Word of God. And so the creed only derives its authority as it lines up with God's Word. And so we've been looking at the various statements of the Apostles' Creed, and it's, it's a great statement of faith because it, it helps in ways, I talked about the ABCDs of how the creed helps. It assists us, A, assists us in spiritual formation. It, B, brings balance in our lives because we all at times have an affinity for one theology or another, and it helps us stay balanced, brings balance. C, it creates community. It helps us realize that we want uh, we need the body of Christ. We need to be together. It's, it helps us by understanding that for thousands of years, followers of Jesus Christ in the church have been staying, saying this creed together. It's a community of, of us saying it together, and it helps direct our steps. If we really believe the statements that we're saying, it will change and alter the way we live our lives. Because there's a and I keep saying this, but I really hope it sinks into all of us. There's a big difference between knowledge, gnosis, intellect, and belief. Knowledge is a head thing. Belief, belief is a matter of the heart. I believe. And I believe that we act upon what we believe to be true. When you believe something, it directs your steps. It helps guide you. We know a lot of information. I mean, we know I should lose weight. I know I should exercise. I know I should eat right. But I don't do it. Why? Because you don't believe it really matters for you. Ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. One thing to know with your head, another thing to know with your heart, because your heart when you do, will direct your steps. And over the first couple of weeks, we've looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty. We've looked at, we believe in a God who is immensely powerful, yet intense, uh, he's, he's personal. He's personal. You know, many of us, we, we look at God as either powerful or personal, but that combination of total power almighty with Father. He's personal, intensely per personal. And last week we looked at he's the creator of heaven and earth. And that if we really believe in a creator God, it will help direct us according to our purpose. We'll understand the power that we've been given. We'll understand how we've been made. 
It helps direct our path. And today, I want to begin what's going to continue really for the whole month of September, a look at who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I, I, the middle part of the creed, it's in your, it's in your bulletin, in your outline, you'll see that the largest segment of the creed itself deals with Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. If you think about it, the creed, the Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the large, it's really more a statement about who Jesus is as much as anything. In the spring of 2003, that's quite a while now, there's a church in Raleigh, North Carolina called Vintage 21. And they had a four-week series on who is Jesus, taking a deeper look at what he said and did. And they put together a really, uh, to me it's hysterical, and I hope you'll think it's funny too. Uh, It's a video series, a four-week video series, where they took like old Jesus videos and they overdubbed them um, to, to give a satirical look at what many people think Jesus is like. And thank goodness he's not. And hopefully we'll get that going. No, that's it. You just need to push play. It's on there somewhere. It should have played automatically, but, you know, technical problems. There it is. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Philip, um, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. Time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. (laughs) I heard that. Look at all these sinners. 
Alright, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. As silly as that is, and hope you don't think it's too sacrilegious, many of us actually have beliefs. This is what Jesus did. He just went around beating people up, telling them what they did wrong, condemning them. It's hard to believe that that kind of Jesus would have attracted big crowds. But this Sunday school compartmentalized Jesus that many of us hold on to, is we, it's got to be broken off. We, we need to see the Lord of glory for who he is. Jesus even got his disciples together and said, hey, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say you're this. And he said, who do you say that I am? And in this, I'm sorry, I'm getting really, uh, Matthew 16, Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christos, Messiah, King. You're the, you're the King. You're the Son of the living God. An incredible statement of faith. And, and here's the key. Many people claim to believe in Jesus, but do they believe in that Sunday school Jesus? Or do they believe in the Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And even more importantly, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you, really? I want to look at a passage from Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 just a little bit. I'll try not to get bogged down. I really want to make this practical, but there is a theological component. And over the weeks ahead, we're going to look at various elements of who is Jesus. Today, Jesus, the Son of God. Next week, Lord the week after that, born of the virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. What does it mean to be fully God, fully man? And then we'll move on and, and continue to look at Jesus from there. But today, as we lay the foundation, let's look at this passage, this great passage from Colossians. And let me just say, as a setup, I'm not going to go into the whole Gnostic heresy that Paul is fighting. What's he just saying? There, there's, a, there's a thing going around that said... You know, it's all about your head, knowledge, gnosis, your head. And Jesus was not really fully God and fully man because spirit is good, flesh is evil, and they can't cohabitate together. So Paul is fighting this as well as John, other early church people. I just want to look at it today because he makes an incredible statement about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And here's what he says. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a magnificent hymn about Jesus. And we could spend the next months, really, the rest of our lives, really mining the truths of this, these five, six verses. But this is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus who is God's Son. He is the Son. And so let's look at some statements about, that Paul is making about who the Son is. The Son, Jesus, He is the Creator. He is the Creator. Now, when I say, just think about this. When I say, who created? You'll say, God created. In the beginning, it's God. God created. But for many of us, when we start thinking about the creative process itself, most of us believe that God the Father was the Creator. I mean, just in our minds, I think many of us just go to this place where we, we say, God the Father made. But Paul, in this passage, he wants, to, he wants to help us see that Jesus was involved in the process of creation. When he says, in, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is the image of God. And the words here echo the author of Hebrews, who says in Hebrews 1.3 that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So, Here's what I believe Paul is trying to help us see. And do you remember back uh, last week when I was talking about Genesis 1, God is creator? It, it, the passage says, and God said, let us. Let us make man in our image. Let us create. Let us. So which, which part of the Godhead was involved in the creative process? I, I believe all of the Godhead, let us, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus through him things were created, God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. In other words, I don't think Paul is in this passage saying only Jesus was the creator, but he wants us to, he wants us to understand that Jesus is fully God, that the Son is the exact representation of the Father. He is the image, and the image doesn't mean something lesser. Many of us at some point have come to believe that, that there, there is an order in the Trinity of importance or a boss in the Trinity. Like God the Father is the boss, God the Son, and then you got God the Holy Spirit. But there's an order. They're not really co-equal. Why do we get this mindset? Well, because when Jesus was a man, was on the earth, he makes it clear, and we'll look at this in the weeks ahead, in his humanity, he says, I can only do what the Father shows me. I can only do what the Spirit leads me. And in this fully God, fully man position, 
Jesus is demonstrating for us what does it mean to be human. How are we going to function? He, I believe he's setting a pattern, and he's not, he's not saying God the Son, me, is less than, but he's putting himself in a position where he demonstrates for us what it means to be human. Because, let's say that every God privilege and every God right Jesus was walking in, how, how would it be fair, so to speak, for us? You see, Jesus was modeling for us what it meant to be human. And there's this term that's called hypostatic union. I don't really know what it means. But it's, it talks about how, how Jesus, when he was a man, walked as fully God and fully man at the same time. Because there are certain things Jesus says in his humanity, like, I don't know when I'm going to return. Only the Father knows. Well, how could he not know? He's God. I mean, how could he not know? And, and so in this union, this complex and unbelievable we'll look at in a couple of weeks, there's this, this element that Jesus is saying, I am, I am a man. And so all of that to say, Jesus, we think, must have been subordinate to God the Father. But really, within the context of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, which all of us, at some point, our minds short-circuit. It becomes a matter of faith when we start to understand God three in one. To say, as Paul is trying to say here, Jesus is, he is God. He created. All things were created, how? By him and for him. And, and he doesn't just say things physical. He says things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now, some people have taken this passage, by the way. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, and say, look, Jesus is, it, it was an image. He wasn't the real thing. You know, like, um, like a, a lithograph. You know, like a, you've got a painting. I've got a painting of, it's called uh, Simeon's Moment. It's, it's a print. It's an image of a real painting somewhere. In other words, there's a less than. And, and, and he's the firstborn, which means he was created. He's the first one created, but he's the firstborn of creation. And so religions like Jehovah's Witness and in some instance Mormonism and others have taken this to say that God is, Jesus, is less than. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is, Paul is trying to help us say he's, he's the firstborn of creation. In rank and privilege, he is preeminent. And he is fully God. God had all of his fullness dwell in in Christ. He's trying to make the exact opposite point, which is Jesus in his humanity was fully God. Am, am I boring you? I mean, do you this is really, really, really important. Why is it really, really, really important? Because if Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man, if he was just some lesser than, then 
the cross loses its meaning. But when we understand that God died for us on the cross, it becomes more than just a good man being killed by some bad people for being misunderstood. He created all things. Not only that, all things were created for him. How does this apply to us? Well, there's an element in Romans where it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Okay, that pretty well covers it, don't you think? From him, through him, to him are all things, so to him be the glory forever. We should give glory to Jesus for his creative. We should celebrate the fact he created us. Here's a question for you. How do you feel about how God made you? If, indeed, God is creator, Jesus is the force God used, the person God used in creation, how do you feel about how, he, how God made you? Do you know, I believe there's a understanding that sin has entered the world and none of us are what we should be, but there's an element when we say, I don't really like the way God created me that comes back to an attitude toward God as creator that's a little subversive. In other words, celebrating, you know what, I, I'm imperfect, but in God, I am the righteousness of God. I, I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to focus on the, the, the shortcomings. I'm not going to focus on the fact I wish I was 6'3 rather than 5'10, or I wish my nose were just a little smaller. Don't focus on my nose right now, but, but I, I wish that God had created me with more muscles or, you know, whatever. I'm going to focus on, you know what, God, God brought me into this world for such a time as this. I'm imperfect, but he's ordained for me. I am a, I'm created by God. It, it changes your mindset about who, my relationship with God. Rather than always looking at God saying, God, I'm not very pleased with the way you made me. You can just think about that later. Second, he's the sustainer. He's the sustainer. Back in Colossians again, one, going on with verses 17 and 18. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Hebrews 1, 3, going on in that verse we started, he says, Since the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Not only did he create, but Jesus keeps it. He sustains it. He holds it together. Um, I, I have to be honest. I, I have never seen an atom other than drawings and some microscopic pictures that they tell me are atoms. Um, but they, they, they indicate that they're, they're, there's neutrons and protons and electrons and electrons and Protons are spinning around each other. And there's this space between them. But they're held together. And you know, scientists still don't know 
what holds them really together? I mean, theories, but we really don't know what holds them together. They do know that if you try and break them apart, big things happen. Booms go on. Uh, but, and that's how powerful it is that these atoms are held together. There, 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 there's force, so to speak. I don't mean like the force be with you, but there's, there's force in the sense that, that somebody, I believe, is holding things together. And that someone is Jesus. He sustains all things, how? By his powerful word. In other words, the word of God, the sound of God that emanates from the throne room of God, not only created, but it holds things together. He holds things together. He is the one who sustains. Next week, we're going to look at if he's the sustainer and the creator, he should also be the one, I mean, ultimately, he's the one in control. He's the one, he's the ruler. He's the Lord. God, the, Jesus is God the Son, our Lord. What does it mean to receive him as Lord? Here's just a kind of preview of that just a little bit. Who controls you? Do you control you, or is God in control of you? And it kind of extends from there. Who's controlling your family? Who's controlling your marriage? Who's controlling your job? In other words, many of us are of the misbelief that we are the sustainers. I'm the one that's sustaining my family. Good luck with that. I mean, really, you, you, you play a part, but we are not the sustainers. We're not the ones holding everything together. Because if we are, then the fruit of that will be manifest in the way our children are raised, our marriage, or our disagreements. In other words, we have to relinquish every element of control of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ and know that he's the one who sustains and in that, I play my part to work along with him to see what he wants accomplished. But, I mean, just think about these first two things. If I can see God as the one who made me, and I've been created the way I am for such a time as this, and when I come to Jesus, he's the one who, re who, he's the one who reforms the way I think and feel and look, not look, look, but outward in, in my in my flaws and weakness, and I celebrate the way he created me, and then I say, you know what? He is sustaining me. He's the one who moves me forward. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. I'm going to bask in the word of God and know that if I hear from him, that he's going to step by step move me forward in faith. Wouldn't that take a lot of pressure off of you? I, I was reading this past week on... Um, Breaking Bad Habits um, for a friend. And so, uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, how do people break bad habits? And, and one of the things about it, both articles I read, I couldn't remember, get past point one. Point one on both articles was this, reduce stress. Reduce stress. That one of the things that causes us to continue to 
enter into habits and allow habits to form is the stress in our lives. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. This is a whole different sermon. This is free, but um, one of the reasons is because stress puts the control back on me. It, it, it puts it back on me. Like we were talking about um, the Sabbath principle last week. Many of us never take a Sabbath because we have this mentality that says the world will fall apart if I don't keep going. If I don't work every day and do everything I'm supposed to do and go, 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 then the world's going to fall apart. My family's going to fall apart. I'm not going to have enough money. I need more money. I got to have more stuff. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, blah, 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 blah. Because we think we're the sustainers. One of the ways to reduce stress is to practice the Sabbath principle to say, you know what? God rested. God will sustain things. He's going to keep things moving. He's not going to let me down. I'm going to rest in him. Take some time. Meditate on his word. Let him work in your life. I believe these first two points, this is who Jesus is. This is what he, the the son who came to this earth, fully God, fully man, is the one who created us and he's the one who sustains us. The third truth, which I believe is unbelievable, is that he's the reconciler. He's the reconciler. Going on in Colossians, says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, to what? Reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God chose to enter the creation that he made and sustains in order to bring it back into relationship with himself. To reconcile is to to take two parties that used to get along, you know, like the U.S. and Canada, to bring them back and to reconcile. Somebody should read the paper more. And to, to, to reconcile, so to speak, to bring back into a healthy relationship where things were. And for those of you and us who have read the Bible and know the creative, when God made Adam and Eve, he had perfect fellowship with them. But sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, that fellowship was broken. And so when Jesus comes, he comes to bring us back into relationship with God. Christianity, in its basic nature, is relational. Relationship with God. That's why Jesus came to reconcile, to bring back into... And there's a lot that goes into this relationship. Don't, don't think of it as just this nominal relationship. We'll, we'll look at that in the weeks ahead. But he came to reconcile this broken relationship. And the relationship, for some people, they think, you know, it was God who broke the relationship. You know, because he couldn't put up with a couple of sinners. Uh, he, you know, that kind of thing. If he could have, you know, just dealt with them, spanked them, moved them on their way, something we, this wouldn't have, we, don't, we underestimate the level of sin. We underestimate what it has done to us and God's beautiful creation. Because all of creation is groaning, waiting for reconciliation, waiting for its restoration. First verse you ever learned in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, was that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We love John 3.16, but I love, love 
John 3.17, where he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Jesus came, not to condemn. See, most, a lot of people believe Jesus came, but why did he come? Uh, to show us like that video, oh, I know what you did wrong, you know, kind of thing. That we have that mentality. That's what Jesus does. Just shows us what we did wrong, beats us up, condemns us, gives us no hope. Opposite is true. Jesus came not to condemn but to save, to restore, to reconcile. There's a story in uh, the New Testament where Jesus and his followers are going along outside a city uh, called Nain, and they meet a funeral procession. And a funeral procession is coming out, and there's this widow from the town, and her son has died. And Jesus, in his compassion, commands that the boy come back to life. This is a great story. He doesn't just say stuff. When he says, like, Lazarus, come forth, he's not just saying, hey, Lazarus, you want to come out? Can Lazarus come out and play? No, he's commanding. He has command over the wind and the waves and the sea and even death. The people in the town, they're awestruck, which you can imagine. They saw this boy's dead. We're going out to bury him. They were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. To me, this is a statement of who Jesus is. God has come to help his people. In the city of Geneva, out in Switzerland, um, on the lake, there's a small park. And on the park is a, there's, in the park, there's a bench. And on the bench is a sculpture that was created in the 80s by a, French, Romanian artist, Swiss. He lives in Switzerland now, but he's French-speaking by the name of um, Albert Gheorghe. And it's an interesting portrayal of a man sitting on this bench. And you'll see it's clearly a man slumped over, and it's called melancholy. And the picture... um, It's like there's a hole where his soul should be, where his heart is. Now, it it was made to portray grief and loss, either a parent or... and, And the artist was uniquely positioned to portray this because his wife had died at a young age a couple of years before, and he had gone through this period of suffering in loss. What's it, what this to me, this to me is a picture of humanity, that apart from the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler, there is a, there is a hole in our, where our soul should be. There is a hole in our hearts because we are, we are missing God. He came to have a relationship with us and us with and when we come to the table of the Lord, when we come to take this cup and this bread, 
We are, we're saying, this bread, it's, it's the broken body of Christ. He, God came to earth as a man to be broken so that I could be whole. He came so that we who were many are now one. God came to restore a relationship with God the Father and with each other in a healthy way. When we take the cup, it's, it's a declaration that God shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, so that once again we could have a relationship. We could walk in the way that we're created to walk, and we could have a relationship, a fellowship with him. Jesus came. We worship the creator. We worship the sustainer. We worship the one who has reconciled us back into relationship with God. My prayer as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, my prayer that we at fullness, my cry is this, is that we would not know some Sunday school Jesus, but that we would know the real Jesus. I believe in Jesus, his only son. Lord, we thank you today for what you've done for us. We thank you for the truth that we do indeed believe. We thank you for who you are. And, and, and Lord, we thank you that you're the one who created us. You're the one who sustains us. You're the one who reconciled us and brought us back into a relationship with you. Today, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Jesus, as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins, the Spirit of God, you would draw them to the name of Jesus. And I pray for those of us who do know you, Jesus, that we'll, we'll have a fuller revelation of what it means to celebrate your creative work in our lives, to, to relinquish control to you as the sustainer, and to walk in fellowship with God as the one who reconciles. May all of these truths come together. May this time where we come to the table of the Lord to celebrate communion, a common union with you and with each other, may it, may it be more than just some religious exercise that we go through. May it indeed be powerful as we meet with you here this morning. Holy Spirit, move among us so that as we take this bread and we take this cup, that God would move the table of your presence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. I pray that as you come to the table that you would indeed meet with God, that something incredible would happen. For those of you who need healing, I pray that as you come, God would heal you. For those who need a restoration of relationship, that God would restore that relationship. For those of you who need breaking of habits and freedom and life, that God would help free you. There's power in His presence. For those of you who are new to fullness, we invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to come and take with us. What you'll do is these two middle sections will come down the middle aisle. 
outside sections down the outside aisles. Take the bread and the cup. Take it back to your place. And when we've all received it, we'll take it. We'll take it together. So come. Come to the table of the Lord. supper he took the cup and said this is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins take and drink
Stand up with me if you would. Some of you may be here today and you need somebody to pray with you. Uh, someone to, to just stand in the gap with you. And so I'm going to speak a benediction, a prayer over us as a congregation. Then as, after I'm done, we're going to have ministry teams that are going to come down and be on my right and my left. If you need prayer, 